Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and you're listening to the Lakeside Church Weekly Message Podcast. This is where we broadcast our Sunday morning teaching, so if you missed it or want to hear it again, you're in the right place. Every week we try to teach God's Word in a way that is real so that it becomes alive to you as you hear it. If this message speaks to you in any way, let us know by clicking on our website's contact page at lakesidelife.org, where you can find out more about the church, watch some videos, and even give online. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the podcast. So I'm fascinated by the tension that is in the New Testament church between uh, freedom in Christ um, and obedience, um, and uh, the tension between freedom in Christ and, and um, I guess, right behavior. They just seem like they're t- so opposite, you know, uh, and so we're going to explore that a bit today, and I want to uh, assure you that this is all under the banner of gospel movement, okay? We're actually going to talk about the big question of the day is, uh, what do I do when my behavior, my uh, right or legal behavior, uh, offends others? And, uh, but this is actually a gospel message in the sense of it's in Acts, um, and there's a reason why Dr. Luke's writing about this, and the theme of what he's writing is this is what it looks like when the gospel flourishes, and so it's interesting that we have this in there, and this is not an uncommon theme that's explored in the New Testament, and basically, we need to get this right in order to create the environment for the gospel to flourish, especially in our churches, okay? And so, uh, one of the problems that uh, John Thomas spoke, by the way, we have a number of people sick, John Thomas and his family are sick, Matt's family sick, I think, uh, Ty Ross is sick this morning, and, and so just be in prayer for people, They're, that's still going uh, around, so anyway. John spoke about this two weeks ago. It was this idea that um, traditionally in the Jewish faith, circumcision was a symbol of the covenant that you had with God. And so surely that means that when Gentiles uh, got converted, uh, that's all great, but uh, surely they have to be circumcised, right? Because, I mean, they want to have covenant with God now like we do, and that was always a symbol of our covenant. And so uh, John talked about it. He had this message. I think he called it Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And he kind of talked about that, that this is a really important thing. And I'm actually going to be reading from some of the same scripture because John was actually in the same uh, place, but he was really talking about the truth of the theology. Today is more practical. It's how do we deal with this practically as the church um, when we have behavior that is lawful, legal, uh, is what God has freed, and yet it offends people. Okay? And uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about yet, we're gonna, you're going to have to use your imaginations a bit. We'll talk about what it means theologically, and, and then I'm going to make application as I see it in my own life, and I think some of it will hit home with you, but then you're going to have to use your imagination to see how else it hits in your lives, okay? And so we're going to look at this pragmatic side. So uh, I think also it's important to get the most out of this passage that we think the best about uh, the Jews at this point. It's going to be easy for us to see, oh, they're then the Pharisees of the new church, uh, I, I think you'll get more out of it if you think of they probably had good intentions. They're probably uh, so caught up in their theology of this is the symbol of the covenant that their new Gentile converts in the church that they love and are serving with, they don't want them missing out on being God's covenant people. And so this has to happen. We can't be teaching that they can have this covenant without circumcision. But you can imagine how that was going over, right? Because, I mean, this is adult people, and they're demanding that they get circumcised in a day that I'm assuming anesthetic wasn't part of the equation. I mean, and listen, I'm not making light of it. That's why this was a problem, by the way. 
That's why this was a problem, is because this is a, this is a big burden that you're putting on an awful lot of people. And, um, and uh, so the, anyway, this was, this was going to be a real big deal. So they, the Jews had these specific festivals and feasts and purity rituals that they practiced. But since Christ was the fulfillment of all that, they're no, really, they're no longer needed. Okay, this is what's known as Christian liberty. The Jews had dietary restrictions, but Christ did away with them. Um, as a matter of fact, the Lord's Day, we talk, so the feast and the rituals and stuff, that was kind of done away with. The Lord's Day, if you think about that, you know, they're gathering around and, and they're saying, well, let's gather. How often should we gather? Well, let's go once a week. Okay, which day should we go? And somebody surely must have said, well, why not the Sabbath? Everybody's used to going to synagogue on the Sabbath anyway. And somebody was like, no. Um, that's too close to Jewish law. Let's do it just intentionally. Let's make it the next day, and let's not, which would be the first day, but let's call it the eighth day because that sounds better than the seventh day or something like that. You know what I'm saying? And so, like that's that they were really intent, intently purposeful about leaving behind um, traditions that Christ had really fulfilled in a lot of ways. Okay. Now you would find in the church um, certainly a lot of the. Uh, the Jewish converts to Christianity would still celebrate a lot of their feasts and things like that. And that's why you'll find that if you ever get to know a Messianic Jew today, they still do a lot of that stuff, okay? Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it, it, if it becomes in the place of true fellowship with God, that's when it becomes a problem. But, but if it's simply a, 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 a method to connect with God, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but here we have this question, what do we do when my liberty, though, as let's say I'm the Gentile in this equation, and, and my liberty offends uh, some other people in my church. The American answer, by the way, is uh, what do we do? Well, whatever we want to do. That's the whole point of our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, is that uh, I have rights that are guaranteed to me, and you can't infringe upon them, and the only time I'm limited in the exercise of my rights is when I'm directly taking your rights away. So as long as I'm not taking your rights away, Tyler back there, who's always complaining about my behavior, as long as I'm not doing that, I can do whatever I want, okay? That's all I wanted to say this morning. So, no, I'm just joking. So anyway, no. That's the American answer. And you have to understand that when we approach Scripture, we have a Western worldview that's going to make this real tough to wrap our arms around it. Because the Christian answer is whatever is the most loving toward other people, though with some measure of discernment, with some measure of discernment. Both of those things we're going to talk about. So Acts 15, it says this. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. But after Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in a serious argument and debate, the church arranged for Paul and Barnabas and some others of them to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem concerning this controversy. Now, we learned last week that Paul and, and Barnabas and them, they've been to these ch churches, uh, you know, Antioch, and, and, and that's where we are. They're more Gentile, kind of half Gentile, half Jewish churches. And the brothers, the, the original uh, gangsters back in Jerusalem who started the church, they're still back there, and they're hearing what's happening. They're all Jews, and they're hearing what's happening. And they're hearing that a lot of these guys are not following the Jewish customs, especially circumcision. And so they decide some of them can't take it anymore. And they travel from Judea to this new church. And they start saying, hey, you guys need to do this. Paul and Barnabas, what'd they do? Well, they, they talked about it with them. And they all mutually agreed, 
let's take this back to the big boys in Jerusalem and let's talk about this, okay? And uh, so uh, uh, it's concerning this controversy. Well, in order to deal with this and answer this question, what do I do? We begin with the right attitude. Look at this in the next verse, okay? When they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, explaining in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they created great joy among all the brothers. And what you're going to find is, because I'm going to skip a large section that I would encourage you to read later today, it's when Paul actually talks to them, and, and three guys stand up as they hear about the converts. What they're realizing is, even though they have these theological constructs are saying, oh, this is so important, though. When Paul explains to them what God is doing and how the gospel is flourishing, it changes their minds. And they realize that that is more important than this. And so on the way to the trip, you find him stopping. And Luke wants us to understand this is an important part of the trip. That uh, basically when they're going through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they started explaining in detail um, to these other people. Maybe they're trying practice runs at their arguments that they're going to make in Jerusalem to see how it goes over. I think that's a good idea. And, And it created great joy. When we talk about these things, we should find joy and find that we're going to be celebrating the gospel. And if we have hearts that are willing to do that, then anytime we come with a discernment issue, if we keep the right attitude, that the gospel must be elevated. Whatever elevates God, whatever elevates the gospel, whatever elevates Jesus, if we start with that attitude, then we're on the right track, okay? Uh, So having said that, there are two sides. We don't want to unnecessarily push people away from the gospel with behavior that offends people, but we also don't want to promote a false gospel of salvation through right living. We don't want to do either one of those things. So we start with the right attitude, gospel flourishing, and uh, that's the kind of the whole point of this series. If you look at the cover, it's gospel movement to the ends of the earth. And so uh, we begin with the right attitude, and then the second thing is we um, search for discernment. We search for discernment. Now, how do we do that? We can't just assume because we have liberty that we should be able to do something. We actually search for discernment the way these guys did. So what you find is they get to Jerusalem, and in 15.6 it says this, Then the apostles and the elders assembled to consider this matter. Now, I'm not going to read from here through 19, okay? But I recommend that you do, okay? Um, that, that, that you read through um, that, that passage because it is, uh, it's great what happens and, and how God leads them after they hear about the gospel flourishing. Okay, But I wanted to just point out that the first thing we do is we search for discernment. And how do we do that? Well, we start by asking a bunch of godly people, talking to them about it. People who have the right attitude. You know, in Proverbs 26, it says, You should wage war with sound guidance. Victory comes with many counselors. Proverbs eleven fourteen: Without guidance, people fall. But with many counselors, there's deliverance. Proverbs 15, 22, plans fail when there is no counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. The Bible is really clear that when we want discernment, we, we, we get a multitude of counselors. That, that, that last one there, um, or sorry, eleven fourteen, deliverance, if you read that in more like the King James, it's, it's with many advisors, there is safety. That's an interesting word, right? And uh, so we, so we, we want to talk that over. Um, if you're married, a uh, really good person to talk uh, to is um, uh, your, your wife or your spouse, right? And for, for you men, um, your wife is actually given to you to help you with wisdom, 
okay? Uh, you have a lot of ideas typically as a man, and, and uh, not all of them are good, and she's your first line of defense against bad ideas, okay? And uh, that's why when I really want to say something, I don't run it by my wife first because she's going to filter out the good stuff I want to say. No, but, but my wife, uh, you know, I've been quoting this a lot lately because I've just heard it a lot, and it's meant a lot to me that in Proverbs 31, in describing uh, the virtuous woman, who can find a virtuous woman who prices far above rubies, the heart of her husband safely trusts in her, and he shall have no lack of gain. Okay, and that's what's been true in my life. And so we start with your spouse, and, uh, and, and then you have other godly people in the church. We reach for discernment. And so talk it over with people who have the same heart about the gospel, the right attitude. And so we do that now as we consider. There's two things we consider. The first is we recognize our liberty, okay? And so um, uh, what we have here, uh, if, 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 I, I guess I can breeze through a, a little bit of this. In, in, starting in verse 7, uh, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said, Brothers, if you're aware, aware that in the early days God made a choice among you that by the mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe, have I gone too fast? No, I haven't. Good. Okay. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe, sorry here, we believe we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. And then the whole assembly fell silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul describing all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they stopped speaking, James responded, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name, and the words of the prophets agree with this. And then he quotes uh, you know, an Old Testament passage and says in verse 19 then, if you can get down to there, Therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. Right? Why have you put, um, as Peter said, why have you put a yoke that we ourselves have not been able to bear? Why would we do this? Okay, so we, we, we start with uh, Christian liberty. We start with uh, liberty in Christ. That uh, God has not put extra rules. The work of God. What work do, what must we do to attain salvation? The work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. Okay, that's what the gospels say. And outside of that, anything else that you're doing to try to earn God's favor is a work of yourself that amounts to nothing and actually will make you in danger of not being saved at all. Okay, because God sees our works of righteousness in filthy rags and the level to which you will trust in your own works for that is the level to which you believe the cross wasn't enough. And so that lack of faith, whatever percentage that is, could be what robs you of salvation. So we must be clear, and they saw fit here, that we, we can't be putting these kinds of things. And I think what they were saying is, if we do this, the problem is, yes, maybe they'd be united to us in some way, you know, and, uh, but uh, if we do this, we might, they might start putting their faith in this work that we've done, and, and even worse, preach a gospel that is untrue, a gospel where, where we're kind of saved by these symbolic rituals that we have instead of by God's grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It is good that you received that you did not deserve. Okay, that is what grace is. Okay, so we, we recognize our liberty, first thing. None of these things are important, okay? None of these things are necessary for salvation. But then we reach for others, okay? 
and we make the most loving decision possible. And this starts with other-centered thinking, how they might feel and think. So we find uh, the next verse says this. But instead, we should write to them to abstain from things. This is where it kind of gets interesting for me. He's already told them we're not going to do the circumcision thing. But then he tells them to do some things. Look at this. We should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that's been strangled, and from blood. And they wrote this letter and delivered it to them. And they kind of write this, this letter, basically what they said. You'll read it in those next few verses. They write them this letter. So they had this big thing, and they realized that we're putting a yoke on these people that is unnecessary. And so they immediately, the biggest issue... You find them doing two things here. They recognize their liberty by taking the biggest issue that was most important to the Jews. It was circumcision. Okay? That's really what they're concerned about. And they said, we're not doing that. We're not promoting that kind of false gospel. And we're not putting an unnecessary yoke upon people. But then what they did is, but, I, but here's what we will do. We're going to encourage these Gentile believers, even though this isn't what saves you, we're actually going to encourage them not to eat food that's been sacrificed to idols. Okay, and we're going to encourage, encourage them uh, to abstain from sexual immorality. We're going to encourage them not to eat anything that's been strangled and from blood. Okay, and they, and they did these kind of things. Now, why did they do that? They were trying to reach for others. They were recognizing that this is the kind of thing that could be really, really offensive. You know, you're going to, you know, a feast at somebody's house. One of the new, you're, you're, these Jews, it's like two churches coming together, okay? It's uh, uh, two churches coming together, and, not, not, and you have the Jews and the Gentiles. And so one of the Gentiles, after service, um, invites one of the Jewish families over to their house, and, and they're eating stuff that, that, that is really offensive, maybe, you know, uh, uh, that's, that's been killed in a way that is offensive to the Jewish people, and, and it could really offend them, and it could strain the relationship. And so for this reason, they basically said, church-wide, Let's not eat that kind of food. Let's actually try to follow some of these dietary restrictions uh, that the Jews have for the sake of unity within the church. So in this one passage, you have them doing both things. They're recognizing their liberty. They weren't going to, you know, and so how do you discern between those? Well, you recognize your liberty, first of all, and make sure that none of this is done by guilt. And once you are to- understand you're totally free, you are totally free, uh, try to reach for others and make the most loving decision possible. Now, it's because of, it, the reason for this is because the gospel demands that our attitude be like that of Christ Jesus, where we put others above ourselves. This becomes standard teaching for Paul uh, as he explains this idea to the Corinthian church. This is a, a great passage in 1 Corinthians 8. So in 1 Corinthians 8, um, he is addressing specifically, what about food that's been offered to idols? Can we eat that once we're done offering it to the idols? It's just sitting there. There's Uh, poverty in some of the churches uh, of the New Testament day at that time. What do we do here? This is kind of like free food. Okay? It makes sense. Okay? And so this is what Paul says about it. Notice how deftly he handles this uh, uh, incident. He says, about eating food offered to idols then, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God by one. But one. Starts with the right theology, right? For even as there are so-called gods, whether in heaven and on earth, As there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from him, and we exist in him. There's one Lord Jesus Christ. All things are through him, and we exist in him. However, not everyone has this knowledge. He basically starts with that freedom that everything God has made, I mean, he's made, okay? And so uh, none of it just becomes poison. You know, uh, basically saying it doesn't necessarily become polluted because it's still a creation of God. 
This is just kind of more of a symbolic thing for some people, but it's not real. And uh, he says, in fact, however, not everyone has this knowledge. In fact, some has been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food offered to an idol, their conscience, being weak, is defiled. And he goes back to the liberty. Food will not make us acceptable to God. We are not inferior if we don't eat, and we are not better if we do eat. Okay? Recognizing the liberty. But be careful that this right of yours, this liberty, in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has this knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? And then the weak person, the brother for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. And now when you sin like this against the brothers and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother to fall. Now, back to Acts. This is uh, the last scripture I think I have for the day. Back to Acts. What's interesting is, so Paul, they basically write this letter, and they say, circumcision, no. It's off the table, but we're going to abstain from certain dietary things. And then the very next chapter, here's how it starts out. 16, then he went to Derby and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was Greek, and the brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him. Because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek, And as they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for them to observe. So the church was strengthened in faith and increased in numbers daily. Now, I just want to point out before we get into some brief application that the church is, here's the point. We end with this because the end result of Paul's attitude toward this is that the churches grew because of how Paul responded to this issue. That was the end result. The gospel flourished because of how they handled this very issue. Paul's reason for abstaining was so other people could benefit. He said in 1 Corinthians, everything's permissible, but not everything's helpful. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one should seek his own good, but the good of the other person. And I don't have time to read the rest of that passage, but that's really what Paul's mantra was as he taught through this. And as a result, the church flourished. Both of these things are important. It is really important that we don't become a church and we don't become people that um, look at some things that other people do, especially within the church, and and we let it become a wedge between us. It's important for us to grow to a type of maturity um, that can that can tolerate um, things that are not sinful activity, um, but maybe uh, offend us. But at the same time. Perhaps maybe the bigger message for us today is that we shouldn't cling so much to our freedom in Christ that we unnecessarily offend people just without thinking. Because that's what happens. We just don't care to think about how another person might think uh, um, uh, or or feel about it. Okay? So here's an example uh, to get us briefly into this in, in an easy way. When we first started the church, one of the first things we had to decide was whether or not we were going to serve coffee on Sunday mornings. Okay? Because uh, we didn't want to make an LDS person uncomfortable. And uh, here's what I would say is that whichever way we decided to go, there's no inherent sin in it unless we were intentionally 
disregarding another per- person's feelings. And we ended up through, uh, we, we talked about that for a long time. And we actually talked to some LDS people who were coming to the church at the time. And they just, they just weren't offended. And what we realized is by the time they walk through our doors, we've offended them a lot already. And there's, honestly, uh, by the time they've come, they've gotten over it. And, and so we're probably okay here. But here's the thing. If we would have said that, you know, we love coffee, but uh, for the sake of others, we're not going to serve it on Sunday morning. We're not going to make a show of it. And you can bring coffee if you want. We're just not going to make big vats of coffee, you know, for everybody because we're not going to try to be intentionally offensive. If we had done that, that would have been a loving and righteous thing to do. Okay? Either one of them would have been fine. Okay? So uh, that, that's an easy one. So I had the same thought process uh, at my last job, and uh, I think George can attest. I wasn't very long before I started making coffee when I was working with George. And, uh, but but I, I went to them uh, first. I assumed uh, most of the people were there were LDS, and I assumed um, that uh, you know, they didn't drink coffee, and I was right. Uh, but I talked to them. I said, you know, I drink coffee, but I really not like to offend you. And sometimes that's a way to handle it, is to go and just express remorse about this, express some kind of brokenness that the last thing I want to do to offend, I sometimes drink coffee, and I, but I, I don't want to especially not make it here. If you're going to smell up your office and everybody's going to be offended or whatever. And, and, of course, they were super cool about it, right? And actually, they'd have people come in, and then I'd have to make coffee for them because none of them had to, knew how to make coffee. And so because they'd have people come in, and they had to entertain them. So that worked out all right. Would have been okay if I didn't do that, too right? Okay. Um, now, one, one uh, thing we recommend here, though, or that we talk about from time to time is alcohol, okay? Okay? Uh, alcohol is something that um, we feel, at least in this church, there's freedom in Christ on, and um, we believe it, it, it is not appropriate to get drunk, uh, drunkenness is spoken about in the Bible, and uh, we do believe that. But uh, for somebody to be out, uh, you know, with their spouse and have a glass of wine or whatever, however you partake in alcohol, there's nothing wrong with that. But this is what we really encourage. Okay, uh, there's a lot of people who grew up in Christian faiths, LDS people, but also normal my faith for sure uh, that I grew up with that are offended by that. My mother-in-law wouldn't be down with uh, Christians just drinking all the time. You know, she wouldn't be down with that at all. Uh, uh, And and my family on both sides, my family and Becky's family, um, uh, uh, especially the grandmothers and things like that. But so you never know what a person feels. And so what we say is do not assume things. Okay. If you're going to have somebody over from the church, um, be really sure where they are at on alcohol before you serve it and before you drink it in front of them because that's a loving thing to do and that's something we really encourage you to do uh, at this church, okay? Now, I'm late and so I, I, I wanted to talk about this more but I'm, I'm going to get on to one other thing. Um, <laughs> because you don't know everybody on Facebook, I'd recommend too because you don't, everybody that you've accepted a friend request unless you do, Okay, but I don't know everybody, all of my 600 Facebook friends, what their positions are on alcohol. I'd recommend that you don't post pictures of it. Okay, that's another thing that I just recommend because in the church, um, maybe you're just hearing it for the first time, but you could unnecessarily, uh, you know, offend somebody. And uh, it's just a loving thing to do is because uh, I know we all love putting those things up and say Friday night and hashtag whatever you hashtag and all this stuff. But, I, but you know, there's other things you can take pictures of at the table, like that big brownie that you have and stuff like that. Okay, and so you know. I'm talking about Tyler. Sometimes you do. Okay. I'm just trying to work you back into it. Okay. So there you go. So anyway, 
But I knew a youth pastor. Yeah, so I, I knew a youth pastor. I knew a youth pastor who had some photos on himself. He was a youth pastor, and he was a godly guy. And, uh, but he did have, a, look, he, he liked cigars from time to time. Honestly, probably the guy had two cigars every year at most. It's probably when one of his friends had a baby or something like that. But he had some photos on his Facebook albums of him with his guys smoking cigars. That's not a smart thing to do because you're a youth pastor. And it's not just the kids that are friends with you. Uh, and we know we don't promote smoking to kids. Um, but uh, it's the parents of the kids. You could, you know, they're sending their kids to your youth group and their kids like your youth group. And that causes them concern and alarm when you're so cavalier about the things you post. Is this making sense so far? Okay, last one. Okay. Uh, finally, uh, speaking of social media, I'd really encourage everybody, don't use bad language on social media. Don't use bad language on social media. Got it? Okay. Yeah. We have any kids in the room that can read? Okay. Good, because I'm going to show you something on the screen. Okay, just a second, Tyler. You ready? Yeah, Tyler's looking at me. Don't try to get, it, get around it with this. Yeah, go ahead. Do it again. Yeah, it's not, it's not. So don't try to say at sign, dollar sign, dollar sign. Like the Cowboys are going to kick some at sign, dollar sign, dollar sign today. Okay? Now here's why. This seems like a small thing. This seems like a small thing, okay? Don't try to get around it like that, okay? Because I, I had a big talk about this. This is just a recommendation from me, okay? I had a big talk about this with somebody. Listen, when we're together, um, you know, when you're with an adult, and I want to say this right up front, and you talk and use certain language, uh, and I'm not going to get into what words and things like this, I personally do not believe that it is inherently sin, okay? I actually don't believe that. Um, I believe in the parts of the Bible that talk about the tongue and, and, and uh, bridling it and, and whatsoever things are good and pure and those kinds of things. I believe in that. But I don't believe that it's going to subtract from the cross if, if you end up say, saying this kind of thing, especially if you're not mad at the time. Your attitude is the biggest thing. Okay, that's what's indicating your heart. So if you're with an adult and you guys have said a word like this, for example, uh, before, you're, you're not going to hell over it. I want to make that really, really clear. Okay. <laughs> Um, having said that, your conversations on Facebook are seen by people who are your friend's kids. And they might not say those things they say around you, around their kids. Now, how many of you, there's certain words that you might say to an adult that you wouldn't say around your kids? Any of you? Okay. Like, for instance, we try to teach our kids not to say the word stupid. Okay. But I say it when people are being stupid. Right? And so, but I'm trying to teach my kids not to call people names. Okay? And so, and so these are the kind of things. And so I had a guy who was saying to me, because he was using a lot of foul language, and what he was saying to me was that, um, uh, well, Facebook is not a place for minors uh, anyway. I don't think those parents should be allowing their kids to be signing up on Facebook. And it's like, right, but you accepted their friendship request, and so I don't think you get to stand behind that argument, okay? If you have a rule on your own, that you only have accepted friendship requests from people who are over 18, I'm going to give you a pass on this one today. But if not, behave on Facebook and use the kind of language that you would use in front of somebody else's kids. Okay? That's just a good rule to use. Because we use social media too much like, well, I'm behind this firewall thing, or like I'm not face-to-face, so I can act differently. Okay? And uh, this is the first time you're going to hear me be yourself. Go ahead and be you out on social media. Okay? I think you actually need to do that. Whatever language you would actually use in front of somebody else's kids, that's the safe language to use on Facebook. But 
This all has to be not because your pastor's saying it or anything like that. This has to be because you've decided in your own heart to um, take a look and say, I'm free to do that. I am absolutely free to do that. For the sake of others, I'm going to use some discernment here. Does this make sense? Now, why do we talk about this? Because this is the environment on which the gospel can flourish. When we are constantly thinking of others more than ourselves. That's why Timothy ends up, Paul's like, you know, Timothy, you don't got to do this. And Timothy, I'm sure, agreed to it. He's like, I, I don't want anything hindering me as I go to preach to these Jewish people. And they decided to do this, okay? And so I want that to be on our hearts today. I'm going to close real quickly because I know we're over time. Uh, thank you guys, by the way, for coming. And um, uh, I, just by way of announcements, I want to announce that we have financial peace starting up in two weeks. And I really want to encourage you to take part in that. So Starting on January 17th, it's Wednesday nights. There will be childcare. There will be food. Jason, what's your question? That's going to be right here. Yeah, so uh, we have that starting up. And then we have a worship, work as worship event on February 23rd. This is an event for um, kind of Christian businessmen, anybody in professional work. Um, uh, and there's speakers like Matt Chandler, uh, Patrick Lencioni, who wrote Five Dysfunctions of a Team and things like that. There's a bunch, like 20 different guys speaking. It's an all-day thing. And uh, we're a simulcast location for that. And so I'd love to have you guys join us. And anyway, um, we gotta, we got to uh, wrap up. So thank you for being here, and let's pray. God, thank you for this day, and thank you for this word that you've uh, brought to us. And I pray that uh, what we really learn from here is not a bunch of rules about Facebook and rules about alcohol and things like that. Because honestly, God, you have, have set us free from following those kinds of rules. And, and those are not the kinds of things that rob us of salvation. But there could be areas, and I pray there's areas I haven't spoken about here. These are just ones in my own life. And, and I, I pray that there's areas that um, uh, we're thinking of now that maybe uh, we can recognize our liberty to do them, but we can, for the sake of others, we can um, you know, endeavor to behave a little bit differently. Differently, uh, especially when we're out in the public circle. And God, I pray that uh, <clears throat> you would, uh, now as we are dismissed, cause us to, in all areas of our lives, put others better than ourselves, that we'd have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who uh, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the nature of a servant and humbled himself and became obedient to the cross. We want to emulate that behavior. I pray in your name. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the Lakeside Podcast. If you have any questions at all about the message, If you have any struggles you're going through, or if you simply want to respond to what you've heard, we'd love to hear from you. Go to our website at lakesidelife.org and click on the contact page to let us know what's on your heart. We look forward to hearing from you, and we'll see you next time.